0: So this is part two of a conversation or discussion around the aggregates. And today I'd like to explore a little bit more around the selfing processes that happen around the aggregates. Just a little review to remind you of the five aggregates. Just to name them, form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness. They're happening all the time. No aspect of experience will be without these five aggregates. And so right now, in the form of listening, for example, sound waves are vibrating through the air. That is form in my understanding, the physical vibration, form of the vibration through the air and form of the impact of that vibration on the body, on the ear. So that's form. And there's consciousness which is aware of that contact of the form with the ear. The contact leads to that consciousness, a knowing, knowing sound, a feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral will be associated with that contact. A perception, a recognition of the language of what's being said, that will happen. And then volitional formations, any ideas, opinions, feelings, thoughts about what is being said. In a moment, all of the five aggregates are functioning very naturally. You don't have to do a thing. There they are. And around that process, we tend to identify. I am the one who's listening. Or some other variation of selfing. I'm the one who's feeling. I'm the one who's knowing. This hearing that I'm hearing belongs to me. These feelings that I'm feeling belong to me. This is a process that... It's a human process. We all have it. I think it may have some kind of uh, function in... uh, in our lives, in being human. And yet this function that it serves, this selfing process, this function that it serves becomes confused with something real, something solid, something substantial. So before I go into the, oh, uh, various explorations around studying the self, I wanted to, uh, a couple of you asked about the magic show analogy for consciousness. And I thought I'd just talk about that a little bit more. After I got a couple of questions about it, I went back to the book. The book. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, read the note about this particular analogy. And I liked what it said. It, It was helpful to me. I'll read it to you. Consciousness is like a magical illusion in the sense that it is insubstantial and cannot be grasped. Consciousness is even more transient and fleeting than a magical illusion. For it gives the impression that a person comes and goes, stands and sits with the same mind, but the mind is different in each of these activities. Consciousness deceives the multitude like a magic show. So to me what this is pointing to kind of this weaving thing I was talking about yesterday. I said, you know, how the mind, the consciousness, weaves together the various sense contacts and creates a sense of of the, uh and here, this, what helped me here in terms of a a way to frame it is that it's as if they're all together, these minds. They're not separate minds in our mind. They're, they're, They're all together. And this is, uh, this is what the, um, the illusion of consciousness is, that we're walking around with the same mind all the time. But we see, actually, as we start to look, that minds come and go. Sayadaw talks about this all the time. You know, he, he says something like, do you see a thought is just a mind? A mind arising and passing away a different way to uh, understand what mind is. We usually think of mind as something steady and solid and this is the illusion, the magic show of consciousness. So that, that was just a little uh, elaboration on that analogy. So studying the self, studying how selfing um, comes about this process of selfing. The Buddha used the term I-making and my-making to describe the selfing process. It's a helpful process to explore in various ways, in various teachings, um, the exploration of this process helps us to understand the illusion of self and so much of our suffering is bound up in the illusion of self that as this illusion falls apart a lot of the suffering around it falls apart as Dogen the famous Zen master says to study the way is to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self to forget the self is to be enlightened by all things and so we can't jump over this uh, process we can't just jump to forgetting the self, we have to study what is it that we are calling self? What is it that we are taking to be self? And so what, you know, just reflecting for a few minutes in a, in a kind of a more uh, informal way. Because the Buddha got very formal. He got very clear and very, he's, he's got those definitions down and uh, he got very clear about what, uh, the sense of self, how that comes to be, but just let 's just think informally for a little while. What is it that we think of as I or me or mine? I think often it includes some kind of a sense of stability, of solidity, of thingness, a sense that there is something there. It feels like there 's something there. It feels like it feels like there's an Andrea here. And we actually take that feeling, at a very surface level, we take that feeling to be, well, because it feels like it's there, it must be there. And we don't investigate it much further. We don't look much further. We just assume because it feels like it's there, it must be there. That is our evidence for the existence of self, that feeling So there's a sense that there's something that is me. Sometimes this sense of something that is me is kind of this feeling or sense of something that has connected my past to my now, connecting into my future. It sometimes has this sense of something woven over time. Memories of past, projection into future. I remember me, therefore I am. I think uh, Descartes, you know, uh, I think therefore I am is kind of an expression of this confusion. In fact, that statement, I think therefore I am, is kind of an interesting way to express the, uh, the truth, in a way, of not self, Although, as I said this morning, it is not simply thinking that creates the sense of self. There are other, other processes at play. Another thing I think that we often take to be self, or a a, a process or something, like when we're choosing something, when we're deciding something, when we're taking an action, it's like, yeah, I'm deciding this, I have this choice. That's another area where the sense of self seems to uh, be strong. I'm the one, who else chooses if I don't choose? And it sure has that sense of that something that is me or mine is making a decision and choosing. Or as I think I mentioned last night, being having the sense of, you know, after watching and being kind of more familiar with the processes at work, seeing, wow, you know, this show just goes on, I'm, not, I'm irrelevant, you know, it just kind of tumbles on, and who's in charge here anyway? And yet still the feeling that, well, I'm not in charge of the doing of all these processes, I'm the one that's experiencing them that's another form of how we sense ourselves to be we are the one that feels that knows that experiences when we start to look at it start to like try to pin it down try to say okay what is this feeling of self kind of like almost vanishes as we try to look at it it's like it's very vague very hard to actually pin down what it is that we're calling self. It's not easy to a- articulate what we mean, and you know when the when as we go through the exploration of of uh, what the Buddha said, you know what do we take to be self? Well, we take this to be self, and we take that to be self, and and shows basically how this thing that we take to be self is not self, but the mind is so convinced of its experience of self at least in my in my experience it's kind of like well well he said these things are itself but it it must be somewhere else if it's not those things it must be somewhere else this feeling it must it must it has to be somewhere here because this feeling is there and therefore it is it feels like self therefore i am So the Buddha articulates 20 different ways that this sense of self might happen. And this itself I think is kind of telling that you know at any one time the feeling of what we call self may be one or another of these 20 processes at work. 20 confusions at work. And so 20 processes, basically there's five aggregates and four ways around each aggregate that he says we confuse that aggregate as self. So we'll just talk about this briefly through the body. Um, I don't, I cannot claim to fully understand all these different ways in various little glimpses, I've seen, for instance, uh, I'll, I'll name the four. So, for around the body, uh, there's the sense that the self is the body. So, this kind of equating of the sense of self with the aggregate the self is the body, the self is feeling, the self is perception, the self is consciousness. i am the body i am the one who knows who feels who perceives that kind of thing that one to me is uh i, I can i can kind of i can kind of get the sense of that one having f- felt at times in particular around yeah i i i i i feel like i am the one who's knowing and feeling that's that is the sense of i or me so the second way so first is Identical, identifying uh, with, it's like self is the body. The second one is um, the sense of ownership. Self possesses the body. Self owns the body. So this is the sense of mine. The body is mine, feelings are mine, Sensations are mine. Thoughts are mine. This is that side of it. That side of the the process. Self is in the body. That's kind of the sense. And again, I think I felt this kind of thing. It's kind of the sense that there is this soul or being that's for the time being in residence here in this body that that to me is a kind of sense of self is in the body that one i can kind of grok the self is in feeling self is in perception those are harder for me to understand the how that would would play out but i you know i i think the buddha is brilliant and probably there's some way that i'm not understanding that that happens and so I just kind of hold that with the question. Maybe someday I'll see that or understand that. Then the fourth way is the body is in the self. And this is this one's a little weird for me too. This one, I my 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 mind wants to do it the other way. Self is in the body. Body is in the self. Maybe that's a sense of the self being bigger than the body and the body being contained by the self or something. For me, this one might be easier to sense with feeling, for instance. Feeling is in the self. But the process of feeling is somehow inside of this whole selfing process. That to me, I I, I have kind of had a sense of that version of identification. So those are the 20 ways that the Buddha says we identify. And I can see my own mind going, you know, it's like, well, okay, you know, there's 20 ways he elaborated, there's gotta be something else, <laughs> gotta be some other way that this sense of self is actually here because it sure feels like it's here. And so, uh, you know, this, this is a part of this delusion of, of self that it is so convinced of its own reality So I think various combinations of these ways of identifying will happen pretty quickly, you know, it's like within the space of a very short time there might be the sense that I am in the body and the one who feels and knows. So you know just kind of these these various threads of ways that we identify weaving together. I I my sense is that these 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 20 ways of identifying kind of come together, you know, maybe seven or eight of these come together at once and that's what we think of as I or me. Various processes that are familiar, various ways of identifying that are familiar. And in particular, um, you know, if we start to think about various uh, mental formations, um, I think mental formations is a big area of identification, you know, our, our emotions, you know, I am angry. I own This anger is mine. And, you know, so, so the, you know, when we start thinking about the specifics of the kinds of things that are um, experienced, particularly in, volition, in volitional formation, we identify around those specific activities of mind. So for, for myself, being the aversive type, the aversive habit came up over and over and over again. And because it comes up so frequently, there's a sense of solidity or thingness about it and a sense of self about it. This pattern recurs a lot in this mind, therefore it must be this mind. So that's kind of the sense of identifying, I am aversion. And yet it also comes with, as as I've explored the sense of self, I see, well, not only are there patterns of mind, but there's like bodily contractions that are very familiar. And the whole thing kind of comes together. There's the emotions that are familiar and the kind of contractions of body that are familiar and like uh, uh, feelings that come with that that are familiar. And all of that feels like me. And so in my exploration of the sense of self, I don't go around trying to tease apart these 20 ways. I look at it much more broadly. It's like, what does it feel like? What does the sense of self feel like right now? What What am I taking to be self right now? Taking this state of aversion to be self. Feeling this state of aversion is me. Possessing some form, this this, uh, this body is mine, this, uh, this folder is mine. Now if this folder, somebody took it, I would really feel the ownership of this folder. So I think various combinations of these uh, 20 ways that the Buddha talks about kind of come together to create what we think of as our sense of self. And so as we start to look at this, it it seems to me that the sense of self has a lot of different components to it. And this is where our mindfulness can begin to help point out to us that what we think of as this solid thing, as I or me, is actually these interwoven threads. And all of these interwoven threads are themselves processes. Beginning to deconstruct the idea of the solidity of the sense of self, beginning to deconstruct this notion of self altogether. The Buddha did encourage us to look at the aggregates from the perspective of ways that we habitually identify in particular around um, control the sense of being in control is a kind of a very habitual way that we identify I am the one who does I can choose, I can decide I can control my experience that's a very powerful way that we identify around the um, illusion of permanence he asked us to look at these aggregates because again the sense of self often comes with this sense of solidity and so he he um, asked us to look at each of these he said okay form let's take a look at form do you have control over form do you have control over how your body is at some measure we do Right? I mean, we can sit in a certain posture. If there's pain, we can control shifting to another posture. So at some measure, there's a sense of control. And this, I think, contributes to the illusion that I'm in control, because there is some measure of control. And yet, ultimately, there is not complete control over the body. Things will happen to this body over which there's no possible way to say may my body not be thus. This is the language the Buddha used. He said, if body were self, if form were self, we could say of form, may form be thus, may form not be thus. But it is not possible. Form is not self. It is the very um, fact that form is not self that Creates this reality that form is not under our ultimate control. Likewise for feeling, perception, volitional formations. Hmm, How many times would we wish to say, yes, may may my mind state be thus. May my mind state not be thus. May my mind state not be anger. May my mind state be awareness and wisdom. Volitional formations are not self, therefore it is not possible to say, may my my volitional formations be thus, may my volitional formations not be thus. So the Buddha kind of takes us through this intellectually, walks us through it in a reflective way. And yet we can maybe begin to sense into this, in our direct experience, the out-of-control nature of our experience. This out-of-control nature of experience. As we begin to recognize, and we do get directly the understanding. Yes, when I sit down to meditate and anger arises, I'm not able to say, may my mind flip the switch and turn off anger and turn on loving kindness. We see that directly in the moment. We see that out of control nature in the moment. This is actually evidence for not self. Unfortunately, the perspective of self is so confused and so deluded that it somehow feels that it must be a failing of me or mine that I'm not able to do this. It's my fault. That I'm not able to control my mind. As opposed to recognizing, wow, mind is not under control. This throws into question this belief that there's a self that controls it. Actually, when we start looking at our experience, there's a lot of evidence out there for not-self. Way more evidence for not-self than there is for self. As far as I can tell, pretty much the evidence for self is the feeling, which doesn't stand up under much investigation because it's very hard to pin down when we start to look for it. When we start to look at our minds, you know, what do we, what do we think we should have control o- of? You know, the wandering mind, the f- one of the very first things we see when we start to meditate, evidence for not-self. We sit down to meditate. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to pay attention to my experience in the present moment. Our sense of self is engaged with that process. And lo and behold, what happens? The mind wanders. Did you choose to let go of the present moment and have your mind wander? Most of the time, it's a process that happens. Sometimes we might consciously think, wow, I really don't want to be paying attention to this. Let me go into a fantasy. But much more often than not, it's, an out of control process. The mind wanders, there it goes. Who did that? A process, a process did that. Causes and conditions created that unfolding. And then, I think even more amazing is that mind's off wandering around and very little sense of much control at all because the mind's go- going off on its like hiatus, and suddenly mindfulness returns. Who did that? Again, mindfulness returned because causes and conditions from the past we've been cultivating the cultivation of the, the 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 mindfulness in the past. Somebody, Steve Armstrong, I think, said that that moment when mindfulness returns in the present moment is is a direct result of seeds you planted every time you were mindful in the past. That every time you're mindful you're planting seeds for future mindfulness. And when that uh, mindfulness re-arises one of those seeds has sprouted. The conditions arose for one of those seeds to sprout. I didn't do that. Self didn't do that. It's the arising of a process. Whew! Mindfulness arises. So the control, the out-of-control nature. The Buddha asked us to, to look at this aspect. Again, we could use this as a practice question if it's of interest to hold practice questions. And just to remind you, you know, practice questions, it's not about looking for an answer. It's more like holding a question and then just being aware. You know, like dropping that question into the pool and seeing what ripples happen. But not trying to do it or search for it just you might for a period of time explore you know around particularly strong feelings of self either what does it feel like is out of control or what does it feel like i am in control of you know so this question of of self of of control around places where we identify another Peace. the Buddha asked us to look at around each of these aggregates was the sense of permanence. You know, do, we, do we attribute solidity, permanence, to the body? Do we attribute permanence to feeling? Do we attribute permanence to our mind states? Some of you have commented about this, how amazing it is when it's seen, how the mind assumes that whatever mind state is arising right now I mean, at some level, we know we know it's not permanent. At some level, we know that, but the feeling, the emotional reality of it is, we're believing it's permanent. It's going to be like this for the rest of the retreat. It's going to be like this for the rest of my life. I'm never going to be happy again. Or, we've had an insight, and we're experiencing uh, kind of this real clarity. Oh, I've arrived. I figured it out, I'm never going to be miserable again. We attribute permanence to these states of mind. And, you know, our our experience is going to very quickly pop the bubble of this one. Maybe not like in the next second, but within at least a few hours probably. Sometimes we attribute a sense of permanence to habitual, like the, the volitional formations I think I talked about this in the hall, so forgive me if I did, but I'll just remind you. Um, I had an identity of being a miserable person. And that identity was so strong. This was before I started to practice. That identity was so strong that any evidence to the contrary was not admitted. And so there would be moments of happiness But the mind would just, with that the mind would go something like, well, yeah, I'm happy now, but really what I know is that I'm miserable. And so attributing that permanence, even in the face of evidence to the contrary, this is the delusive power of this sense of self. It, It so believes in its reality, in its solidity, in its permanence, that it's very hard to see evidence to the contrary. And so this is one of the reasons why I encourage you as you're investigating habitual patterns. I've said this in a lot of the groups. When you're uh, investigating and knowing there's something that comes back a lot, something that's a very familiar pattern, recognize when it's not there. Recognize its absence. This pokes holes in the evidence that it's me, that it's mine, that it's solid, that it's always there. So recognizing its absence is a direct support for undermining the selfing around that state in the suttas, I just found this one today. I want to share it because I like it so much. Um, the Buddha points to um, you know how we suffer over attributing permanence to uh Uh, to the aggregates. And this is where this third aspect, so we, we look at what, we take what's impermanent to be permanent. And because we're taking it to be permanent, the corollary of this is we're taking it to be reliable. It's a reliable place for my happiness. I can, uh, this is going to be a permanent thing. I can ha- hang my hat on this and be happy. And so the Buddha says that Uh, or no, this is actually Sariputra. Uh, The Buddha said a a kind of a cryptic statement to somebody, to a householder. And uh, the householder went to Sariputra, and Sariputra said, well, why didn't you think to ask the Buddha to elaborate? (laughs) But sure, I'll elaborate. (laughs) And so he says, um, an uninstructed person one who is not a seer, one who is unskilled in Dhamma, sees, regards form as self or self-possessing form or form as in self or self as form. So this is the the four ways around form of identifying self. Then he says, this is the part I'd like that I hadn't really known before, he lives obsessed by the notions, I am form, form is mine, as as she lives obsessed by these notions, that form of hers changes and alters. With the change and alteration of form, there arise in her sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair. And so the the attribution of self to any one of these aggregates is partly possible because of the belief in its permanence. We think, ah yes, this is self, this is me, this is mine, it's permanent, it's, this is this is what I am. But then when it changes, when it changes, it's like we've we've been obsessed by this. Form is mine, or I I what does he what does he say? I am form, form is mine. And when form changes, it's like, wait a minute. What happened? I thought I had control over that. Form was mine. Form's not mine anymore. We get upset. We get distressed. We suffer. Likewise with the other aggregates. Uh, the the flip side of it, he says, is that if you live recognizing basically he says does not regard form as self or self as possessing form as form is in self or self as form, does not live obsessed by the notions I am form, form is mine. With when form changes, there does not arise in him sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair. So again, the, uh, the relationship of selfing to suffering here, really pointing to the connection between selfing and suffering. The other piece about Uh, or other aspects that we uh, tend to mistake or not see. In this selfing, we uh, attribute um, a sense of self, create a thingness, take something to be permanent, that is actually a conditioned process. So this is another form of the misattribution that we're taking something that is a conditioned process to be I or me or mine. One, um, one questioner came to the Buddha and, um, asked him, who feels, and the Buddha said, that's not a valid question. responded, I do not say one feels. If I should say one feels, in that case, who feels would be a valid question. Since I do not speak thus, one should ask me, venerable sir, with what as condition does feeling come to be? This would be a valid question. With what is conditioned condition does feeling come to be? To this the valid answer is, with contact as condition, feeling comes to be. And so, we experience sight, sound, smells, taste, touch, body contact, we experience things arising in the mind. With that contact, feeling arises. It's a natural process. No one who feels... This person didn't quite get it, because his next question was, Venerable Sir, who craves? Again, the Buddha very patiently responded, It's not a valid question. A valid question would be, With what is conditioned does craving come to be? Pointing us directly to look at the causal Uh, processes in our mind. So, in terms of a, having kind of laid out the terrain, uh, in terms of an exploration of this, I would encourage, when there is a sense of self, when when it's an obvious thing, when there's an obvious feeling of this is, I I feel like I'm here, when it's obvious. Start exploring, what is that experience? What are the components of it? What is, what am I taking to be self? You can kind of look through the experience, what's happening in this mind and body? Well, there's feeling. Okay, seeing that feeling—that's part of this. And then there's, there's, crave. There's, uh, there's, um, uh, emotions, and there's body contraction. Perhaps all of these things. And as we watch them with mindfulness, we see that they're changing. Now this is a, this is a, a helpful thing to recognize. Y- um, when we uh, aren't really looking at self directly or we've... Basically, one of the things I think about self um, is that it's, it's a concept, it's an idea, it's a, it's a formation of the mind, it's a, it's a construct of the mind that we believe to be something, we believe it to be real. And so, um, when we're looking at experience through that concept, concepts can have a sense of solidity to them there's a a way there seems to be a process in the mind that creates solidity around concepts believing them to be real we talked about this a little bit before you know just that we take what's we take what we what, what our concepts are to be the actual truth of our experience and so with around the self when we're relating to self through the concept it's kind of this thing but as we start to look at it and we may have a kind of an analogy around this around looking with pain I think many of you have explored the possibility of knowing the experience of pain And if you're looking at it as pain, as a block, as the concept of pain, it feels pretty stable and solid. But as soon as we can let go of that concept and actually go into the experience of pain, we find it's actually fairly dynamic. It's changing very quickly. There's nothing solid about it. Very similar with this exploration around the sense of self. When we are, are looking at or experiencing self through this concept it feels solid but as soon as we start looking at well what is this? What is the actual experience? We, we find well there's threads of, of body sensation and pleasant unpleasant neutral and there's ideas and there's emotions and, and all of those things are like changing really quickly. And some of them may be uh, especially around the volitional formations, may have a little bit more of a sense of solidity. You've, you've, some of you have talked about that, that sense of, yeah, this feels like it's here for a while, not seeing it go away. So again, you know, beginning to explore that piece of it. Oh, well, you know, all of these other things, the feeling feels like it's pretty... That, that clearly isn't where I'm attributing the self here because that's quick, quickly coming and going. But what really feels solid here is this aversion, this anger, And then, okay, well, that may be where you're really congealing that sense of self around. And start looking at that. What is that? What's happening there? And so just start investigating. What is it that you are taking to be self? I would encourage this, again, primarily when the sense of self is obvious. Personally, I've not found it very helpful if the sense of self is is not obvious to go looking for a sense of self. I've tried this at times, it's kind of like, well I'm suffering and I've been told that I'm suffering because I'm identifying with something. So what is the sense of self? I'm suffering. You know, What is the sense of self? I've got to figure out that sense of self because that's what will make this whole suffering thing fall apart. Does that sound familiar to any of you, that kind of belief? That's something that's gone on in my mind anyway. So, when the sense of self isn't obvious, it may not be helpful to go looking for it but when you are exploring the suffering itself you're aware that you're su- there's aware that suffering is arising the uh, the study of that the exploration of the dukkha itself the exploration of the the struggle, the clinging, the holding, all of that. That is essentially investigating the same process from a different angle. The Buddha described the process of how suffering comes to be. Some of you may have heard about the teaching of dependent origination it's very clear laid out description of how suffering comes to be in our minds the way that we cling and crave around the feeling and how that results in you know the the the, the clinging and the whole process of how the identification arises and how the suffering arises the process of describing how suffering arises is the same process that describes how the sense of self arises. It's not a different process. And so if what's obvious to you is dukkha, study dukkha. That's what's available. And you're studying the process already. You're studying the way in which dukkha is created that's studying the way in which the sense of self is created even though it may not be obvious to you in the moment if what's obvious to you is dukkha study dukkha if the sense of self is obvious look at that you know kind of like i described that that sense of it's a truck arising it's like wow that's really obvious that sense of self or sometimes the sense of um you know when you see something somebody doing something and you feel like well that's wrong, and I'm right. It's like, whew, a sense of self-righteousness, and I'm right. That's, that's, that can be a very clear sense of self to investigate. Or, or the sense of, you know, when somebody was talking today about how the sense of self is pretty nebulous until somebody else is in the room, and it's like, whoo, it, it shows up. You know, it's a, there's me and there's other. So we can start to explore, what is that? What is that experience? studying when the feeling of self arising. And and by studying, I mean just know it. Observe it. Get familiar with the feelings. Studying. To study the way is to study the self. The studying of the self, the exploration of what is this experience, curiosity about it, as opposed to the idea of, oh, there's a sense of self here. That's bad. I'd better get rid of it. To study the way is to study the self. We study the self, the studying of the self, with the studying of the self, the wisdom, the understanding starts to arise, and the wisdom frees us. The wisdom is what forgets the self in Dogen's quote. To study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. The studying of the self results in the wisdom, and the wisdom releases, or the wisdom shows the understanding that what we think of as self is simply a concept, is simply an idea. Maybe a useful concept at times to not confuse my mind states with your mind states, that's useful but to uh own it as self and other that's extra so again i'm I I feel like I always come back to this every talk. It's just observe, relax, observe, allow, and learn. The Dharma kind of filters in as we relax, observe, allow, and learn. The conditions of hearing the Dharma begin to shape the possibility of seeing something new. We don't have to try to find it so much. And yet if what happens following this talk is some Wow, what am I taking to be self? If that question arises, it's like, let that investigation happen. Let that exploration unfold very naturally. And so let's just sit for a few minutes.